around here. Captain! Signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. Chair, 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 chair. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery. Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of the Greatest Generation. I am Mirror Universe Adam Pranica, <laughs> and I am Mirror Universe Ben Harrison, evilly stroking my goatee. Uh, what what would you describe are the adjectives of Mirror Universe Benjamin R. Harrison? How would you describe this person? I mean, I think it goes without saying fascist and racist. <laughs> uh, racist signaling is how some, yeah. some Twitter commenters would describe you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> lack of virtue signaling. Sure. <laughs> now, listen, <laughs> I don't want anybody to get the idea that I approve of a uh, Star Trek series with a black woman in the lead role. <laughs> But here we are watching this garbage show. <laughs> oh, Mirror Universe, Benjamin R. Harrison. Very awful opinion coming from you right now. <laughs> but I guess that's to be expected. We are back, Adam. Uh, it's been a long break. We had a little uh, bonus hip where we kind of collected our thoughts about the first uh, ser- several eps in the, in the series. Um, but I f- it feels good to be back on the horse, man. Yeah, like just at the moment where we had collected those thoughts, and I, I think we both felt a little bit of a greater sense of confidence about our grasp of the story and what was going on. Yeah. Uh, the show the show took us to summer camp and had us do that spin around the baseball bat thing <laughs> <laughs> until we got super dizzy, and uh, yeah. that feels like what episode 10 is. Yeah, this is... Uh... From like a like Aristotelian narrative standpoint, we are in fairly uncharted water, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, and I am happy to be here. Tbh, uh, I thought this was the strongest episode of the season and of the series so far. I it was fairly breathtaking throughout in terms of uh, pace and story. I dug it. It's pretty wild shit. And uh, it's a freaks. Should we jump right in? Yeah, let's talk about why as we turn the page to uh, Star Trek Discovery Season 1, Episode 10, Despite Yourself. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons? Klingons? Those Klingons? What the hell is going on on this ship? Shit. Haven't the slightest idea. This episode opens with the instant that we left off uh, before the break. And uh, the computers on the bridge are glitching out, and we fly through the view screen, and they're just trying to get a sense of where they are and what's going on. Yeah, I mean, they're, uh, they've been blinded because their sensors don't work, and so it really adds to the sense of confusion from the entire crew. They're looking at this, this mass of space flotsam that looks like a destroyed bunch of Klingon ships, except they're not quite reading as Klingon ships in terms of their composition. They're just trying to bring their their basic systems back online so they can just sort of align themselves about where they are and what they're looking at. And some strange things start to happen amidst this, like 
not only as the matter in the ships around them uh, strange, but uh, strange things are happening, like a Vulcan ship sidles up to them and uh, winds up uh, being a hostile Vulcan ship that does not want to talk or help. Two things that Vulcans are famous for. <laughs> they wind up having to, like, and for some reason they can't lock on, I guess because the computer's still so so glitchy-poo, but uh, Reese manages to uh, nail this Vulcan ship with a torpedo uh, by just shooting in their general direction. And uh, Well, not to be pedantic, Ben, but, like, they miss with the shot, and it's... And it's another ship that takes him out. Because Lorca's like... Where did that assist come from? And it ends up being uh, the Cooper, right? Is it possible that the kill shot came from Greedo? (laughs) In the mirror universe, Greedo shoots first. The other ship gets on audio-only FaceTime and is like uh, sort of rubbing it in. Spooked by a rebel's discovery? You're losing your edge. Don't worry, we'll take care of him. Cooper out. I like in the uh, in the mind of the captain of the Cooper, Discovery is just like hanging out amidst its its fallen enemies, like enjoying that. Yeah, yeah, just <laughs> just jacking it out there. So, like the things that were going down uh, concurrent with this jump in the last episode were Ash Tyler talking to Laurel in the brig and uh, everybody down in engineering. Uh, trying to figure out why Stamets's eyes have gone all milky. Ash Tyler comes on board the the bridge like super late for the chief of security during a yellow alert, and uh, Saru's threat ganglia shoot out the back of his head. I feel like this sort of shit wouldn't play in a show like The Office. You know, <laughs> guy who is late to work, who is typically a professional, is like foreshadowing of bad times. In every show ever made. Adam, much like my hips, Saru's threat ganglia don't lie. We've gotten some further information about what is going on with Ash Tyler, and I think it kind of lines up with where our theory was at, right? Oh, really? Are you saying that we may have been right about that? <laughs> <laughs> about how consensual things might have been between them. Hmm. <laughs> you know what? If only I had time to reply to every fucking tweet about that. How, how much controlling of... my my mirror universe feelings uh, that are positive towards rape. <laughs> well, yeah, maybe they thought that they were listening to a uh, mirror universe, yeah. Ben and Adam. Like, like this is kind of rolled out slowly over the course of the episode, but. Like, maybe we just talk about, like, what is going on with Ash Tyler that we know at the end of it, uh, which is that he got a second personality installed over top of his existing personality when he was being tortured. So those sex scenes with Laurel are things that human Ash Tyler is remembering, but were he wasn't, like, he wasn't in the driver's seat of John Malkovich when that stuff happened. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, Culber even mentions, like, they do a Manchurian candidate test. Like, I love and, that. And, I love that that's a standard test. Yeah, and that nothing came up, but, but like, 
what Dr. Culber posits is that uh, much like reverse cowgirl, this might be like a re- <laughs> a reverse candidate situation in his mind that that was able to to get past this this medical test. I I don't really understand. And I think they could have done a better job with the prepositions surrounding uh, an alternate personality. Like, Culber is talking about having an, another personality under your own personality and then another personality over your own personality, as though that's something we're supposed to know about. Right. I, did, I didn't get that. It's fairly complex. But I think even if you don't specifically understand... What is happening with him, the the point of what Culber's making is that he was unable to read this before, but he can read it now. Like, contextually, right. that's the idea. But it's, uh, it's, it's not going great. Like, Ash Tyler's having a ton of side effects of this situation. Like, he gets sent out in a, uh, in a little pod to collect a computer chip from the Klingon wreckage, and... He's, he's like, just being in proximity of Klingon stuff is, like, fritzing him out. I really like the art direction of this uh, because he's cruising around in, like, a deep-sea-style submersible with, like, mechanical arms that he drives with a trackball and a power glove. (laughs) I thought uh, the world-building here was really cool. It looks looks futuristic, but it also looks contemporary, like, and, and utilitarian. Yeah, they showed those little those little pods in episode one, but I don't think we got to see how you work them, and they're and they're cool. Yeah, James Cameron would be so jealous of this. Yeah, I mean, Ash Tyler rolls up on this jetsam and sees bodies inside, and the bodies inside this Klingon ship are an Andorian and a Vulcan, which uh, is fairly surprising to everyone involved. It's like seeing me drive a lowrider. <laughs> it, it just doesn't fit your image of, of what I would be driving. The car you drive, it's language, and you're communicating something about yourself to the world. <laughs> right. That's something I've been terrified of ever since I moved to L.A. It's like, I guess I have to get a car, but I don't like really know what cars mean to people. Yeah. Because I haven't had one in my entire life, so... I guess Volvo station wagon. <laughs> the one thing you got right was wearing the combination brown and yellow handkerchief out of your back pockets. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a language I understand very well, Adam. <laughs> so Ash's mission out here is to recover a computer core from this ship. I mean, this is this is detective work right here. By recovering the computer core, they're going to figure out where they are, who these people are, why there's an Andorian and a Vulcan on this ship. It's going to answer a lot of questions. Lorca has posited that they're probably in an alternate universe uh, because of the, you know, the stuff that they were looking at at the uh, toward the end of the last episode, like that the the Spore network can get them not only around their own galaxy, but also around other universes, other planes of, of reality. So Yeah, he, he posits this in a conversation in his ready room that is the announcement that Jonathan Frakes is directing the episode. <laughs> yeah, it really is. What he does is a rotation around the three characters who are speaking. It's Michael, Saru, and Lorca, and they're all having this conversation. And 
you're not cutting between character speaking in the way that you are in a in a typical dialogue driven scene with shot and reverse shot moving the camera this way is is like a way to avoid that but it's also a fairly standard visual language that means characters are searching for answers it's like 360 degrees of of dolly track around this like 3d map that shows i guess our universe intersecting with the mirror universe or something like that it also uh it corresponds to the ellipses that are that are like shown in hologram on the desk like yeah like there's these shapes on the desk there's the shapes of the shot that correspond once you notice this visual language of like of the circular camera move. I think you'll see this a lot in a lot of movies and television. Like this is a fairly standard, like mystery late motif. Yeah. It's a really fun and dynamic way to shoot it. It's also really challenging because your grips have to have the camera like in position for when a character is about to speak. And like that could be really distracting for actors and, uh, and really, uh, challenging for grips because you know like this is like somebody who is on set to like set and level track and then push a, a cart around on it and suddenly they have to know like all of the beats in the dialogue in the scene yeah continuity wise <laughs> it's super difficult it's cool and like pretty virtuosic filmmaking frakes does this a couple of times uh in the episode i i want to say he walks right up to the line of overdone and then takes a step and a half back from that. But it is, it's a definite thing. We have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention. Who are you? We've encountered them. Those Klingons? I suppose we should check in with Stamets, uh, who has uh, been moved to Six Bay with milky eyeballs. And uh, he's rambling about a palace. And Lorca walks in and uh, explains to Culber that Culber is being taken off the case because he's too close to it. Which, if it were anyone else but Lorca giving this order, uh, it would make a lot of sense, I think. But but as with everything with him, uh, it feels loaded. Yeah, it feels loaded and a little bit hypocritical. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I think that, like... Wilson Cruz's motivation in this scene is like, I fucking hate working in the military. Yeah. (laughs) Basically. I'm also really, really noticing more and more just how empty Six Bay is at all times. Like, is Culber the only, the only medical personnel on the ship? No, because he's, they've referred to the CMO a couple of times, which is the Dr. Crusher job. So Culber's not even the top medical person. I don't understand why that person isn't around more, as well as just the regular medical staff that should be working in Six Bay. Yeah. Is this the only Six Bay or are there is there is this like the uh the urgent care and there's like a real like full fully fleshed out one off on the other side of the ship somewhere? Culber works at like the Walgreens clinic on the ship. <laughs> <laughs> the twenty four hour <laughs> It's like, I, I really want to help Stamets get this milky crap out of his eyes and get back to normal, but we mainly just do flu shots here. I don't want to be non-milky eye normative, but man, <laughs> there, is, there is something about a milky eye that, that really reads as haunted in a way that yeah. is very, very effective. 
uh, in all scenes concerning stamets. Well, if uh, if you have milky eyes and are concerned in any way about that hot take that Adam <laughs> just said out loud, remember, this is Mirror Universe right. greatest discovery. <laughs> it just comes to the territory when you're talking to Mirror Universe Adam. Yeah. He's just, he's, he doesn't care that you feel bad that you're haunted. He's an asshole. This is the Mirror Universe. You know, it's done with black eye, too, like in Event Horizon. Like, stuff, st- the ways you can fuck with eyes. Didn't they do that with Stamets when he was uh, brushing his teeth? No, I don't think that happened during the toothbrush scene. No? Oh, it was the toothbrushes that were all black everything. Yes, yeah, and that was <laughs> why that scene was, was so haunting to me personally. They pull these pyramid-shaped computer chips out of the Klingon data core, and they start to put together a picture of the world they're in. And we get, like, a bunch of exposition, exposition, exposition about what the mirror universe is and what everybody's about in it. The human race uh, has, like, a Terran star empire that is, like, racist and fascist, and the... And Dorian's Vulcans and Klingons are on team fuck that shit. And uh, so so that's why the Vulcans didn't help them. And that's why Andorians and Vulcans were driving that Klingon raider around. And um, and so they're going to they're going to have to kind of try and blend in in this universe and not get fragged before they figure out how to get back. And uh, there's some urgency about getting back because They've got the information about how to detect the Klingons when they're under cloak. And, you know, they're basically leaving the Federation as sitting ducks absent, like, providing that information. So if they get killed here in the Mirror Universe, it's it's game over for everything they know and love uh, back, back home. We haven't talked much about Tilly up until now. And this is the first scene where... I think Tilly starts to carry the ep for me. It's strange to see a Federation crew person express doubt or to like fake confidence when they really don't mean it. But that's what Tilly does in this scene. She like regards the empty spore drive chamber without stamets. And she sort of puts on a brave face in front of Michael about the mission and its stakes and the solitary work that she's done to like recover the hard drive. Her whole carriage in this scene is almost as spooky as Milky Eye Stamets to me. Yeah. I think I think she's she's really great in this scene specifically. Like she's great in scenes that come up later, but the subtle work being done here I thought was was awesome. Mary Wiseman, real solid actor. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen her in anything before Discovery. I haven't either. Looks like she's got a little career, though. She's been on some TV shows and stuff. Speaking of acting, I I feel like Shaniqua Martin-Green's got so much to do in this episode and is so killer. Like, there's parts where she's tender and loving. There's parts where she's, you know, (laughs) got to, like, get in a knife fight. There's parts where she's got to kind of impersonate evil version of herself. and. You can see her kind of like, like falling in and out of character as as she like enters public parts of the evil version of the Shenzhou. It's fucking great. She's so good. What they find from the hard drive is all of the information they need to go undercover in this universe. And the show 
conveys this information through montage and voiceover in one of my other favorite scenes from the episode like it it pivots into caper right which is one of my favorite genres ever yeah it's totally like ocean's 11 of uh of how are we gonna do this this con yeah you get Lorca in voiceover you get the crew trading in their com badges for the new globe and sword com badge you get uniform <laughs> changes you get skinning the U from the USS and changing it into I on the outside of the ship. I hate taking stickers off, man, because if if you just get a little bit of the backing stuck on there, it's like it's never coming off, right? Uh, the the giant barrel of goo gone in the, <laughs> in the worker bee out there. Yeah. That's got to be so stinky. Yeah. Yeah, that's not good. That's uh, that stuff's real. Uh, a lot of volatile organic compounds. You could really uh, get lightheaded working with that stuff. What they find out from this uh, computer core is that there are versions of themselves in this universe that are much like the mirror universe versions of you and I, Ben. Sort of, sort of the opposite counterpoint to the prime universe versions. And in this universe, uh, Tilly has made Captain but in the most horrible ways possible. She knifed the previous CEO of the ship, and so she's got this kind of, like, badass rep, and they turn her into this, like, warrior goddess character. You also get a really fun dress-up scene where Tilly is being made up into Killy Tilly. It's and really heavy metal with her. Yeah, she's she's really nervous at first, but she really, like, sinks into the role, and it, it's real fun to watch. Yeah, they, the first time she has to fake being her alter ego is audio only. And that scene felt a lot like Star Trek VI in the scene where they had to fake being Klingon. Like, <laughs> like there's a lot of hand gestures and, and squinting and nodding and, and discomfort. I really like that scene. Yeah, I like that Lorca uh, goes all Glasgowegian <laughs> yeah. to uh, disguise his voice. <laughs> It's a really fun scene. I wish the uh, I wish the captain of uh, whatever ship they were talking to was like a Scottish engineer. I think acting stammery has got to be as difficult as acting drunk, in in how you're able to pull it off without going all the way ham and cheese with it. Yeah. Another point for for uh, Mary Wiseman here, like like she is great as stammery, disconfident Tilly. What the hell? They ring up the Shenzhou, which is the ship that, in this universe, Michael Burnham was the captain of. And uh, the idea is uh, Michael Burnham went on a mission to kill Lorca, who was going to try and kill the emperor of the Terran Empire. And she was, like, presumed dead, and he is still at large. So they're going to take advantage of the fact that nobody knows where they're to... Uh, you know, mirror universe counterparts are to uh, to get in touch with the Shenzhou and get on on board it and like get some information because there's another ship from their universe here in mirror universe. Right. They find out about this prime universe ship in this universe. They also realize that mirror universe discovery is now in prime universe because they traded places with it. Yeah. We had a little discussion in the Facebook threads, I guess, about whether Lorca 
intentionally fucked up the last jump or not. I guess this doesn't this episode doesn't really resolve it, but the the idea that he intentionally fucked it up but way worse than he envisioned is is pretty juicy. Like I would love there to be a scene in the next few episodes where he has to like confess what he did if if in fact that is what he did. I think an agonizer booth might get him to say things that he may not ordinarily <laughs> be willing to to uh, disclose. Agonizer booth is uh, what my dorm room was called when I was in college. <laughs> um, yeah, so he's like he's being brought in as this criminal former imperial captain who attempted to assassinate the emperor. And uh, they don't know anything about the emperor other than that the emperor is very cruel. Adam, do you have any predictions about who the emperor will be? Should they reveal it? This is probably a, a, a part of a much larger conversation that you and I could have about how discovery creates its world. But uh-huh. this series doesn't shy away from like teasing the viewer about playing that game of like what you think will happen versus what you want to happen. And so much like the whole Vogue Ash Tyler thing. Right. I didn't want it to be true, but it seemed fairly clear that it was going to be true. And yet uh, I'm not dissatisfied with how that was revealed in this episode. My inclination is that the show will make uh, Giorgio the, uh, the emperor, but what I wa- who I want it to be is Kirk. Oh, would it be would it be Chris Pine? I guess if it was Kirk. Oh, I I don't know. I mean, I imagine they'd probably recast him. This is a little bit pre Chris Pine, right? Yeah, yeah. It's either Georgiou or Bob, in my opinion. Bob would be a great choice because of her specific relationship to Lorca, and I guess right. it all comes down to. Who is the primary character in this universe? Like, the story is Michael Burnham's in the Prime universe, but in the Mirror universe, I feel like uh, Lorca is the main figure. And if it's his story to tell, then I then I think the Emperor should be his antagonist, and that would be Bob. We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Those are Klingons. They hail the Shenzhou, and the Shenzhou has got Connor as its captain now. And this really fucks up Michael Burnham because she watched him die in the Prime Universe. Right, and he's also, like, really aggressive about it when he says, look at me. (laughs) I'm the captain now. (laughs) So, uh... This is a non this is a non audio only FaceTime. This is a, an actual FaceTime situation they have with Connor. And so Michael Burnham is done up in Mirror Universe cosplay. Uh Lorca is is wearing the leather duster of a of a Neo Matrix person. <laughs> and he's been bloodied because he bashed his face into uh into a door before going out and like sort of a great last minute thing you want to do before going out on stage. I think I'm gonna try that before Sketchfest. Yeah, yeah, you uh you, you put on everything you're going to wear out and then you take one thing away and bash your face against the door. They communicate that they're going to beam over and then a scene happens that I don't think I've ever seen in Star Trek before. And I hope I don't get a thousand letters that this has been <laughs> this has been done already. 
But the edit they do from uh, transporter room to transporter room here, I thought was awesome. Yeah, it's it, it's a crazy crossfade. Yeah, they crossfade the room instead of the people being transported, and it's great. This is about as dangerous as it gets because they're on a ship full of humans who have like a life experience that they can't possibly imagine, and where like the way you the way you like rise and succeed in this world is by killing the person ahead of you in line. Yeah, <laughs> so. It's a little bit Pach, and it's like like it's vaguely Klingon. Yeah, it's like a it's like Romulan and Klingon ethics mixed together. Yeah, they beam over and and, uh, and they're like, "Cool, well, we'll take the prisoner down to the brig." And and uh, Michael Burnham's like, "No fucking way!" Like <laughs> taking it myself. I don't trust any of you, you cats. And. Uh, and so they they go down there and uh that yeah, moment the, really sets the tone that they they really do not want to be separated at all the three of them. Yeah, but they're going to have to be like yeah. the I mean the, the, this is like a very brave thing that Lorca does like Lorca is down for whatever it's going to take and when they get down there and find out that he's going to be in something called an agonizer booth uh like Michael Burnham's first instinct is not to put him in it and he he like shoots her a look like what the fuck are you doing you're gonna blow our cover put me in the booth he's like rubbing his nipples he's like i want this so bad yeah it's the only way i can come (laughs) (laughs) that's not frosted glass in his booth by the way later (laughs) that's all lorca you remember my lab on the ship? I have 10 agonizer booths. I use them all the time. <laughs> I have an agonizer codpiece. <laughs> it's just a pair of shorts with two hands that flick his balls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the it's the sack trauma equivalent of a helmet with two cans of beer attached to the sides of it, right? Yeah. Michael is great in this scene at sort of playing both sides, playing playing in an instant the having to make a decision not to torture her captain, but also like being credible with her reason why. And the reason why is that she doesn't want him accidentally killed. He's a very high value prisoner and she wants to collect that sweet, sweet bounty. Yeah. She and Connor hop on the elevator and head up to the bridge and he uh, attempts to knife her, and we get like the John Wick fight scene where she, you know, gets out her her pistol and tries to shoot him, and winds up taking the knife, sticking it through him right as the doors open, and she has to like walk out onto the bridge to the slow clap uh, of a crew that is very glad that their pipsqueak captain has been killed by the the captain that they. That they truly respect. I so. love how they Rudy clap her onto the bridge. <laughs> it's so fun. Yeah. Not the first time a door has been opened with a dead body. No. I loved her performance in this. Like, it's like she's like, she watched this dude get blown out into space in the Battle of the Binary Stars and liked him. And yeah. this is like him, but not him. And she had, she had to kill him. Like, it was her or him. And so she's very upset. She's upset that she had to kill him. And 
And yet, like, when that door opens, she's got to be in character or it's going to be trouble. So she has to, like, tamp that way down and and walk out. And I think that, like, the idea of playing a character who's playing a character and breaking character a little bit and, like, needing to get it back together is such a complicated acting task. And uh, SMG, man, she fucking does it. Yeah, she really does. I I was also thinking about in this scene just about how far we've come uh with regard to fights on Star Trek. Like it wasn't too long ago that it was three cuts and someone threw a glass table. And there's 40 cuts in this turbo lift scene. Yeah. They stuck a camera up in the top. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's as dynamic and as modern as it gets. Yeah. And you know, there's been a ton of hate about like this isn't my Star Trek. I really I really could give I couldn't give less of a fuck about the this isn't my Star Trek people anymore. And I think this <laughs> scene is one of the reasons why. You know? This is a modern fight scene done very well between two characters that are very complicatedly drawn up until now. Like this episode does this amazing magic trick with its tone where it's got this like crazy level of intensity and complication, but it's also got the kind of like corniness that is native to Star Trek. Right. And, and, and it like can do both at the same time and have it be not a weird mixture. Like the, the, this isn't my Trek people are just wrong. Like <laughs> Agreed. Not a better version, but it's like our, you know, a more contemporary version. It's like you, it has to change and, and be updated. It can't be a, it can't be like a microwave reheated version of an old thing like the Orville. The corn in the ep has to do with Tilly and the specific magic trick that it's able to pull off is that it doesn't let the corn overpower the meal. Like right. every time we're on the Shenzhou, it is terrifying. And when we cut to the Shenzhou from Prime Discovery, where things are silly, and Tilly's talking about cutting out tongues and polishing her boot with them, like, a lesser show would let that color the entire ep, but it really goes back and forth hard in a way, in a way that totally works. And one side does not corrupt the other uh, emotionally in a way that I don't know how they do it. Yeah, I mean, like, there's the scene where Ash Tyler is is showing up late to the transporter room because he was really busy snapping Dr. Culber's neck. The captain is like, where were you? And he's like, uh, don't remember. I mean, I'm sorry I'm late. Like, I don't know how they made that work at all, but they made it work. You know, like, Frakes has done camp. He has, yeah. like, he's done a movie that fucked up this tone before. Sure. And so it is redemptive to see him helm an episode that is done so well in this way. Well, I hope I'm better than you realize. <laughs> I think if there's one misstep in the episode, it's it strains the credibility of the senior staff to allow Ash to go unchecked the way he is. And the headcanon that I have in why they allow that is because there's so few warriors on the ship. Like, this is still a ship full of scientists. If you need a guy to go undercover in a in a place where 
he might need to stab a guy. Like, I think Ash Tyler's still getting that call, like, even though... Yeah, it's not going to be that lady with the silver head. Right, right. So I think their desperation is is the reason they're making a lot of choices right now. I still feel like even a little bit of of scrutinizing of Ash at this point will be helpful. That scene in uh, in sickbay, I watched this episode with my wife, and she's <laughs> straight up like she is not a a scream out type person when watching things, but when uh, when Ash Steven Seagal's Culber. <laughs> like there was a definite scream out there. That was that was a shocking moment. I'm really sad that Culber's gone. Yeah, I am too. And it makes me wonder what it means to have done all the work to to set up the character and set up the relationship if only to kill one of them in season 1. Yeah. It's necessary in the way that it really made me feel something in a way that I like to feel. Like, I, I, I like it when characters die in shows that I like. I like it when characters I like die because I want to feel something. And so it was effective in that way. Right. It, it, it raises the stakes. It makes you feel the consequence of what's going on. Yeah. And so I'm, I'm sort of split between that feeling and the feeling of, like, what was it all for if he was just going to die so soon? Like the the social effect of of his character and his relationship in this show i don't right. think is diminished but i'm saddened that that there's a chance that it it could be gone already ben my question for you is like how soon do the tickets to labome get listed on on discovery's classifieds page <laughs> like you think stamets probably lists those right away <laughs> Yeah, he's uh, once once he's uh, demilked his eyes, and maybe he has one of those like brief moments of clarity, and it, that's <laughs> that's what he does as he gets on his phone. And <laughs> he's like, "Where would we even see that in this universe?" Like he's listing them for like ninety nine cents. Just uh... price to move, <laughs> OBO, uh, <laughs> curb alert. Uh, he didn't want to see that opera anyway. What? 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 What's happening? What? No. What's all this? I'm trying to save you. What is this? So the button on the episode is like Michael Burnham coming back from a long day at the office and taking off her sculpted breastplate and uh, being surprised to discover that Ash Tyler is, is there waiting for her in her quarters. Do you think Michael's jealous of Tilly's breastplate, which is <laughs> fairly stacked? <laughs> A lot more sculpting in that breastplate. Uh, yeah, I, guess, I, I like that Tilly's is kind of like kind of her own thing. Yeah. It's a little bit like, like Tilly is the general pattern of this yeah. universe yeah. where... Uh, where she gets to kind of design her own uniform. Everybody else has the uh, diagonal str- slash across the chest, and there's like hard hard material above it and soft material below it. It's a little Batman and Robin, you know? Like yeah. One has got the massive armor plating, and the other one's sort of like made for movement. Right. Uh, neither, unfortunately, have, have uh, rubber nipples on them. But, uh, <laughs> I mean... I guess they they did that with Laurel that one time, right. so maybe they blew their rubber nipple budget on that. <laughs> uh, 
there is Ash Tyler, and he's like having some heavy duty feels, and he uh, he wants Michael Burnham to know that he has like got her back with a sack, and uh, they start to make out, and uh, he's got her it, neck, her back, her pussy, and her crack. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, Adam, indeed. But the episode isn't going to let us uh, exalt in this hot hookup without reminding us that Lorca is in total agony. Just to admit, I watched this episode twice, and I saw this scene differently both times. Hmm. The first time I saw it, the button was just the feeling of, oh, God, this is terrible, and Lorca is really feeling the agony and this is going to be a really messy awful place to be for the foreseeable future the second time i saw it i saw it as as ash derelicting his duties like Hmm. because ash's reason for being in on this mission is to protect them and i suppose his primary protection asset is michael but I could have sworn that Michael in the agonizer bay was like, make sure this guy is taken care of and is not fucked up. And so to see Ash in her quarters ready to get down felt to me like like he totally he totally ditched him and left him to rot in the agonizer. And for Michael herself not to recognize that Lorca was now being hung out to dry... I thought it wasn't a good look for Michael Burnham either. No. I wonder if Lorca survives season one. I wonder if the entire first season is in Mirror Universe. Ben, I wonder if Disco never returns. And it explains exactly why the Federation never cracks Klingon cloaking technology. Like, what if they hitch a ride on the Defiant back home? Yeah, I was thinking that, like, like if... Stamets and and Disco have to get left behind. the The trouble with that is that there's a discovery that has gone to Prime Universe, and also there's like, I mean, Mirror Universe is is an established thing that they go to in TOS and DS Nine, and I think there may even be Voyager episodes that do Mirror Universe shit. So. I really want to see ISS Disco in the Prime Universe. I hope this show gives that to us. Yeah, give us a one-off like Monster of the Week episode where they're just marauding around and everybody's like, what the fuck is going on? I would love to see that. <laughs> what, what's interesting about that thought is that uh, Mirror Universe Lorca commanding the Discovery in the Prime Universe may not feel a whole lot different from... <laughs> the actions of Prime Universe Discovery and Prime Universe up until now. That is the episode, Adam. Did you like this episode? I I loved it. Favorite episode of the season so far. I was uh I was totally amped throughout. You were like Lorca in an agonizer. I wanted to give myself over to this series. I wanted it to be good. I wanted to like it. I still like throughout watching the series had not crossed over all the way into into how I feel right now, but now I I'm riding for disco. I think I think it's a great show and I'm really enjoying what it's willing to do. One of the things that I really dislike about prestige drama, like they're they're so self serious that when they kind of like 
don't work that well, it gets so like it it gets bad in a bad way. And this show is like it knows that it's Star Trek. It knows that it can be corny sometimes, and right. it, and that's okay. And I feel like that's like a safety valve on it being bad. Yeah, well put. So I agree. Like this is a, a great episode, and it's like it's it's touching all of the things that are good about Star Trek. Um, I think that like the mirror universe is a bit of a silly idea. So like like committing to it in a big way is uh is just like embracing the silliness you know i actually permitted myself to watch after trek (laughs) (laughs) and the reason why i wanted to see it was because uh this episode is such an outlier of what it was willing to do what it did do and i sort of was hoping that frakes would be on the panel yeah he wasn't damn which was almost unforgivable uh it gave me no answers to any questions that I had, mostly because there's like a sycophantic uh, through line to After Trek that makes right. that makes getting any satisfying answer to any question impossible because the yeah. panel is stacked with producers and two actors, and the it's host too is deep asking, in the pocket. Yeah, like the host is asking questions like, "Well, what does this mean?" And everyone's sort of like looking at the camera, going, "I can't tell you." <laughs> like, that's that's the entire hour of After Trek and uh, scintillating. Yeah, that was that was too bad. So no answers to be found there is what I'm saying. They're hamstrung by the nature of the business. This is why having Frakes on the panel would have been so great. Like, cause that's yeah. the stuff that I would want to know. Like there's, there's a difference between, uh, disclosing what the challenges were in breaking an episode and, and spoilering a bunch of stuff to come. Like there's a way to do that. Yeah. And I haven't seen every episode of after Trek. Maybe they're able to do that in, in other reps, but they, they certainly didn't do it this time around. That all being said, Ben, uh, did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? I think we have to check P1s first, buddy. Oh shit. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Then our first priority one message from what may or may not be the mirror universe <laughs> is for future marbles. It is from the warm honeyed bosom. The message goes like this. All right. Binturongs are evil. Have you ever shared a good scar story? Did you touch the bone? Lick the eyeballs? Ulysses S. Cash has done some friend chicken for you in the back chat. Cat UFO, watch out for the airlock. At Braxton Clap has an itchy trigger finger if you know who that beautiful animal is. Manfred? Soon. Join Baby Nation. I'm pretty sure I unlocked someone's computer verbally with that (laughs) password. Yeah, that might be uh, the series of nonsense phrases that trigger ourselves falling back into Prime Universe. Yeah, we might have uh, reverse candidated someone out there (laughs) with that password. Uh, Adam, our second priority one message is for Mock and Mike, but mostly Mock, and it is from the Ghost of Bingo, channeled through... Kirstar Shrimp Colgar. <laughs> and it uh, is asking me to do this in a drunk Bob Vila voice. Oh boy. Mark, now you know my lawn ain't gonna mow itself. And since 
I can't face it to go outside. I need you to take care of it twice weekly. Also, go to the store, get my numbers. Oh, you have to pee. Okay, talk to you later. Oh, Mike, I see you get out of your car there. That Mark, he's all right. Can you tell Mark to get a 30 rack of Bud Light, too? That is the that is the message. I uh, I really butchered my uh, this old discovery voice there, but uh, those are the words in the in the P one. Sometimes uh, P ones feel like a sobriety test. Yeah, where uh, you know you tilt your head up and you touch the tip of your finger to your nose, and <laughs> and while doing the Bob Vila voice, it's it's tough. Yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> Sir, I'm going to have to put you in the back of my car for that, that read, though. Ben. Watch your head. <laughs> uh, if you'd like to support the show via a Priority One message, you can go to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message, and that helps fund the production of our program. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to ya. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. 
The episodes will be amazing, and wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. Oh, I did. Um, There is a scene when SMG has like, like, taken taken command of the mirror universe iss shenzhou and uh she sits down in the captain's chair and there's this like triumphant nazi salute where they say long live the empire yeah and everybody like like fist bumps their chest and then puts their hand out and uh <laughs> my drunk shimoda is the helmsman of the shenzo who if if you watch the scene, like is clearly very self conscious <laughs> and like not super confident in what they're doing, and definitely like flashes the person at the op station next to him, like like looks looks over to like make sure he's got the timing right and stuff. <laughs> and uh, I just feel like it was like like they shot that at the end of the day and they had enough time for one take and they're like, all right, good enough. Like that one guy isn't going to be distracting enough to to ruin the shot. <laughs> That's great. I uh, like. I love those moments because it feels like uh, it feels like high school talent show a little bit, like where you don't yeah. have the choreography down and and like the people are looking at each other for the timing. That that feels real and in universe to me. Like it, it could be a production choice, like you're saying, but it could also be like a meta choice. Yeah, like he he's either an extra that didn't get told what they were doing before they were shooting it, or. He made a really strong choice. <laughs> uh, did you have a drunk Shimoda, Adam? I didn't want it to be Tilly because Tilly feels very obvious. Mm-hmm. But who else could it possibly be? <laughs> she she gets the corn scenes, as you described them. She gets the really... She, she almost gets two getting ready scenes, which is another part of the caper genre that I really like. Like we get, we got the montage with the voiceover, but we also get like her uncomfortably putting on her giant breastplate, Saru making fun of all of her nicknames. She gets that <laughs> moment in the mirror where she's talking things out with, with Michael Burnham. Yeah. She does so much of the lift here on the universe. And if it's anyone else who's the captain of the ship besides her, you got to feel like it would be a disappointment. Like it, like Everything was coming to a head with her. It had to be her as the captain. And it was very satisfying when it was. The whole hold your horses stammer was really cute. <laughs> Just yeah. like cute in a way that was not ham and cheese. I think 
I think she was great, and uh, and Mary Wiseman, who plays her, like does a great job with her. Super fun. Uh, well, Adam, what do we do now on the show? I can't even remember. <laughs> Take it away, Rob. <laughs> no, I think we uh, I think we talk about what we saw on the coming up next preview, which was just a bunch of tangled up cutscenes that uh, there's explosions. Uh, there, yeah. there's a there's a knife being brandished. Uh, looks like we're gonna be staying in this universe for a while. That's what it looks like to me. Yeah, they go to a planet where everything is uh, real smoky. Are Saru's is Saru's fear dick just out permanently? It feels like that's how it should be, right? He's just hanging fear dong for the rest <laughs> the rest of the season. Wouldn't you? I mean, if you couldn't control it. <laughs> yeah. I guess, uh, yeah. I mean, I wonder if I wonder if he'll uh, he'll be like numb by the time they get back. Like his fear dong will never come out for anything because he's just been like it's been so abused. He's got a, he's got numbing spray that he's using as like Jerry curl <laughs> activator. Like he's just <laughs> shooting the back of his head with it. Saru. <laughs> it helps my stamina and it gives me a lustrous sheen. You're looking real glossy there, Saru. Yeah. He's just dripping all over his console. Yeah. <laughs> my species was bred for one thing and one thing alone to let my soul glow. <laughs> The Greatest Discovery is a MaximumFun.org podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Benjamin R. Harrison, and produced and edited by Rob Schulte. Music by Adam Ragusia. Head to MaximumFun.org to support the ongoing production of this show. Please use the hashtag GreatestGen when discussing the show on Twitter. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, and Adam is at CutForTime. And make sure to check out the Greatest Gen Reddit and Facebook groups if you're looking to continue the conversation even further. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.